Good afternoon. The time is 2 o'clock. Welcome to Vox Pop on this Food Friday, February 23rd. I'm Ray Graff. All right, I'm going to be honest with you. Beginning of the week, I didn't expect to have a Food Friday. I canceled all the Vox Pops all week. But thanks to you, our fun drive ended very quickly. And so, what do you do when you're in a bind? You call Amy Halloran. She loves flour. She loves talking about it. She loves baking with it. You got a question about flour, about grains, ancient grains, newfangled grains? Give us a call, 800-348-2551, 800-348-2551. It's a Food Friday. Frankly, I don't know what the show is about, but she has some idea. You can email us at voxpop at wamc.org, voxpop at wamc.org. Or 800-348-2551. Amy Halloran and a last-minute edition of Food Friday coming up. Hello again. Welcome back to Vox Pop, WAMC's live afternoon call-in talk show. I'm Ray Graff. Joining us today is our pal, Amy Halloran. Amy is a writer, an activist, a baker, a blogger, an astronaut. She has discovered the cure for the common cold. She has written a book called The New Bread Basket. It's a, it's a great book, and we talked about it during the fun drive. You had a question for Amy about flour. She's a flour ambassador. We all took the pledge on the air during the drive. The number is 800-348-2551, 800-348-2551, or you can email us at voxpop at wamc.org, voxpop at wamc.org, or the number 800-348-2551. Amy Hallman, you did this show on very short notice, and I appreciate it. I am a very improvisational person, Ray. Well, we're going to test that out. Today. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, basically, it was Wednesday or maybe early Thursday when I said, oh, my gosh, I think we're going to get this fun drive done. And there you are. And you said, no problem. We haven't really discussed the topic, but you came bearing books and food and all this sort of thing. What's what's that book you're holding right now? This is Aunt Sammy's Radio Recipes. Oh, Aunt Sammy. Now, who's Aunt Sammy? Aunt Sammy was either the wife or the sister of Uncle Sam, and she was an on-air home economist who uh, would broadcast daily chats. She was introduced in um, October 1926, and here's, you want to hear her introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Can you read it like Aunt Sammy would do it? Well, this is a this is a man introducing oh, okay. her. Okay, we so. take you now to Aunt Sammy's kitchen. This morning, we are going to introduce Aunt Sammy, the best authority we know on housekeeping. Every day, she will chat with you at this time. Ask your neighbors to meet her. Send your problems to her. Make her your friend and advisor. It is now our pleasure to introduce Aunt Sammy, our official radio representative of the U.S. Bureau of Home Economics at Washington, D.C. Oh, that is so amazing. So that, what I'm confused about, this was 1926, you said, yep. right? Yep, yep. How was she unsure if she was the wife or the sister? Oh, well, her, I mean, I'm sure... She knew who she was. There were these fictional women. Betty Crocker was the first. Right. She had her cooking show on the air even earlier. Right. Oh, really? There was a yeah. Betty Crocker on the air? Yes. She was 1924. Was there a Mrs. Butterworth? Oh, no. No? No, okay. that was um, not. That, that didn't happen. Okay. But we have... So, you know, Uncle Sam wanted to hop into the thing. They would send out scripts. So 
you would get a script, WAMC would get a script from USDA, and a woman would come in and read it, local dialect, you know, local um, local recognition yeah. for the audience. They wanted her to be familiar. Now, a lot of what she did was recipes, but as you can hear from her introduction, she had all kinds of household hints, which... USDA was, you know, into. Do you know what station she was on? I don't know what she was but on. She around was around here. here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was she a was, national show. It was a national show. Huh. It was everywhere. And this was government funded. You know, we had your friend uh, Kathy Sheehan from the Hart Cluett on. Yep. And she talked about Uncle Sam and how he was uh, basically stiffed by the the federal government. Yeah. And yeah. yet she goes and works for him. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite a sister slash wife, let me tell you. <laughs> it's I just love that um that this this kind of voice was created. Yeah. This um because around that time you've got advertising really kicking up its heels, companies, corporations coming on. So they, they want to make some people that who can cozy up to the public. Yeah. And there's all kinds of ways that they did that, who, you know. To what end, though? What what was the government looking for? In the gov- oh, in this? Yeah, to, so, to, to cozy up to people. What was it all about? Was it, it wasn't selling a product if it was the federal government. It was selling health, and it was selling, you know, that's what home economics was gotcha. about. How to efficiently do your job. There was lots of this uh, domestic science, um, timed task Repetition. They had recommendations on how you lay out your kitchen. For um, farm wives, they would have a you know a whole different thread of how to make your pin money um, by selling eggs and doing all all the things that you do on the farm. Interesting. So, but they would they they were speaking to an urban audience too, and it was. Um, you know, I, I think with the home economics, it's public health, yeah. early public health. How did you stumble on this book? <gasps> well, luckily, someone wrote about it. And um, he's a scholar named Justin Nordstrom. Now I remember how I found him. Okay. He gave a presentation at a food conference that I went to probably 10, 15 years ago at NYU. And he w- th- his book hadn't come out yet, Aunt Sammy's Radio Recipes. But when it did, I was super psyched to get it. Well, okay, Amy Halloran, you've been on this show many times and you're a fascinating individual. What makes that interesting to you? Just the different ways that people received information. So I collect at home all kinds of baking powder biscuits, baking powder um, booklets. So pamphlets that all the different baking powder companies put out there. There were 500 baking powder companies in America having wars in, in 1900. Really? It was huge. There's a book out there called The Baking Powder Wars by a woman named Linda Civitello. It's more food thriller. It's a food thriller. That's really interesting. Why though? Why would there be 500? I guess distribution might have been more difficult in the in 1900, but 500 is a lot of baking powder companies. Everybody wanted to make it themselves, right? There, there was before consolidation was happening. You just mixed phosphorus with, um, you know, an oh geez, there's phosphorus up. and baking powder. Yes, 
Is yes. that okay? Are it's we going to be all right? It's fine. We're going to be very fine. Right? Okay. We are going to be so fine. Why do you collect all the old ones, though? Why? Well, I first started getting into it in my 20s. I was so excited about corn pancakes. Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. You, you had me a pancake. And I, I used to run a thrift store. And so some of the stuff would come into us, but more often I would go shopping on my days off with friends down in White Center, which is south of Seattle. And so I would find these gems that really gave a window to me on the evolution of kitchen appliances. So, for instance, Crisco was hydrogenated fat. Right. Revolutionary. was also coming online as kitchens were changing. So they would go on the road with new stoves and new appliances. I mean, there wasn't even a toaster in 1909. Do you know this, Ray? No, I did not know that. Oh, my God. This is a, that's a that's whole funny, other thing. I think goal. our toaster's from 1910, so we must have <laughs> one of the early ones. It's, you know, I just like thinking about how life used to be. Because I, I, I've always been fascinated by that. Maybe because I grew up during... I mean, we grew up in sort of the same era, right? Yeah, yeah. Or peers. You're a little younger than me, but... So, uh, the, you know, Bicentennial really got into my blood. We were talking about all this stuff. We, You know, on Avenue Way, where I grew up in Melrose, we made our own parade. We dressed up as colonial kids, and we had, you know, the, the, the uh, July 4th parade... I was hoping in the old house that we lived in as my parents renovated it that we could find some artifact. I I thought maybe we'd find a letter from Abraham Lincoln, even though I knew very well that Abraham Lincoln had nothing to do with Melrose, New York. He might have written a letter. Yeah. So I just hoped we'd find. I've I've just always had this magnet for the past. And so as I've grown up, it takes a lot of different shapes and the and the pamphlets and recipes that I you know chase have turned out to be super useful research tools now interesting so you know the, what what you're investigating here with the baking powder you, you're investigating a commercial endeavor right but you're you strike me as about the most the least commercial person I know why why would you go for the business end of this in the early 1900s well I think I wanted to know how the businesses are articulating themselves how did we you know so 15 20 years ago 20 years ago when I was a, a newish mother I was v- a, an urban homesteader as they say uh-huh. and I I used to teach classes in how to industrialize your own food supply because I huh. wanted I didn't want people to buy pr- packaged foods. Right. I wanted them to see that they could prepare their own foods and um you know and and get off that chain. And so I really wanted to know how all these domestic tasks that used to be a part of a household not necessarily at 1900 you know there's a there's a a world of change that happened and that has to do with class wealth part of the world that you lived in you know it's it's all very layered all these layered changes but i was really really intrigued how the american public 
bought hook, line, and sinker that we could not feed ourselves, that cooking is drudgery, that it's, it's really a burden. And because for me, it's always been a joy. I've loved, loved, loved to cook. And so I wanted to know about all of that. And that's why, you know, the turn of the century is pretty great to look at for how that changed. So interesting. Let's take a break here. 800-348-2551. If you would like to talk to Amy Halloran today, we're just getting started. Lord knows where it'll end. 800-348-2551. Email is voxpop at wmc.org. We'll be back. Martino, yes, uh, West Coast Blues from his uh, album I Remember, which was uh, all about West Montgomery stuff. Great record, great guitar player, and West too. Uh, you know, I just want to thank everybody who pitched, not pitched, we pitched. I want to thank everybody who pledged during the fun drive. It's been a long week, but you... Oh, close to 8,000, I think, people made pledges between the lockbox and the fun drive, which ended this morning around 9 o'clock in the morning. Mwah! Thank you all. We will not bother you about this for at least a couple few months and uh, really appreciate your support. Number here on this program, notice I haven't given the fun drive number once yet, but the show is young. 800-348-2551 if you want to chime in here on Food Friday. Amy Halloran is our guest. When you say you were an urban homesteader, what exactly does that entail? So that was a phenomena of the early 2000s where people were going into cities and gardening and having chickens and trying to pursue self-sufficiency. Um, as a matter of fact, getting back to the commercialization yeah. aspect, there was a family in um, South Carolina, and a lot of people were blogging about this. I had some blog, actually I think it was called Home Economics because I was so interested in this home economics okay. thing. Yeah. And um, there was a family in California that tried to copyright the term urban homesteader ah, because it turned trademark. into this kind of machine of people trying to earn a living. Me, I've always been very disinterested yes. in earning a living. Right. And Me I've, too. I've had the privilege of, you know, being able to, I got a cheap house in Troy. I got a grant from Trip as a first-time homeowner to get that house. Yeah. And we were able to, because um, several lots had been taken out by uh, the neglect of urban renewal. Yeah. Um, we have almost a half an acre, and we had chickens, still have chickens, but now they're community chickens, and my neighbors take care of them. We grew wheat in my backyard a little bit. Interesting. How did, how did that you do with that? Oh, it was great. Really? We had beginner's luck, and uh, we used a, a variety called warthog. My kids used this little, I don't know, you might have seen those little hand crank things that Scott's Lawn Grow has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so my kids, they they. They put out the grass seed or the, well, because wheat, wheat is a grass seed. Okay. It's just one that's been cultivated for one, for a lot of different reasons yeah. than, than a lawn. And uh, it we had beginner's luck. 
we had made this beautiful warthog. And, uh, That's I think, cool. Yeah, it was really fun. You know, here's why I ask you about what it is actually an urban homesteader is. You mentioned, I mean, your kids were little. And, and being a father myself, I remember there... There is not a lot of time in the day. So what you ha- you did, it strikes me, is the very reason these companies for the, the, were out in the early 1900s saying, we're going to make your life easy. Yeah. And, but the, the time constraints and, and the responsibilities of the modern life, how did you do it and balance being a mom? Well, because I was... Well, I was working part-time at the Troy Waterfront Farmer's Market and part-time as a writer. So I had a lot of time at home that I could do it. And my husband, Jack, is very passionate about gardening. So he did all the gardening stuff. And he was really into canning. I was a little bit afraid of canning. He grew up in Ohio. His mom was very into gardening and canning and so he had all the canning skills yeah he would do the late night shifts on the canning i'd cook up the ketchup he'd can it till dawn and that you know so it was a real partnership and it was um but it is a ton of work and i think i romanticized it i know i romanticized it yeah because i'm a romantic i'm a reality creeps in i mean if you got a couple of kids floating around and you have all these responsibilities it's tough to be romantic about that but the kids got involved so Ah. my older son francis loves plants forced labor loves plants oh god give me some child labor give me it (laughs) no that's not fair and it's not right and you're only joking about your own children don't we have kids so that they will work for us really no (laughs) i I have kids so i can bring them water whenever they ask and things like that no that's exactly the opposite no well go on well i'm in troy and you're on the other side of the river there you go there you go upstairs downstairs yeah yeah it was uh you know the kids were involved felix loved i have a, a great friend who um grew up on a farm in iowa and he was really involved in helping me figure out how to harvest grain and then felix had these believe i still have pictures somewhere he's about eight years old and he's winnowing the wheat with a box fan where you have to pour the wheat in front of did it the box fan will blow the chaff away. He looked beleaguered. That, he looked. That is cool, though. I mean, yes. that's an experience that you will take with you, and you'll you'll probably cherish it. I mean. Oh yeah, he grew up to work on a grain farm. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Number here is eight hundred three four eight two five five one. Amy Halloran is here. When we started, when I started this show today, no, didn't expect to have it. No real topic except that Amy was coming, and you've already given us a theme. Let's grab a call or two here, and then we'll talk about all this food that you brought. Marion is in Albany. Marion, you're on. Thank you. Uh, I have a recipe that calls for using some Irish-style flour. And what can I, is there something I can substitute for that? I also, it also calls for using all-purpose flour. Um, in addition, what's the recipe for? Is it a brown bread? Soda bread recipe? It's kind of, they call it a scone, uh, uh, Irish soda bread muffin. Yeah, okay. So when they're talking about Irish style flour, my best assumption is that it's a soft wheat. And... Versus a hard wheat, which is hard wheats are for breads. They have a higher gluten content, which helps hang on to the structure of a leavened 
baked good. Um, an Irish one will be, so you want to look for a soft wheat. If um, you like whole wheat flours like I do, you might have some spelt flour in your house. That would work well. You might have some whole oh, wheat, wheat flour. A, a wheat flour, but you don't want a bread flour. But oh, okay, no, I have whole wheat flour. You have whole wheat flour, like in a mm-hmm. in a regular um, supermarket bag. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's um, soft wheats you can find in spelt, and you can get oh, them okay. in the bulk aisle at co-ops. You can find them mm-hmm. at and and so spelt is a works it well for baked goods like okay. that, and also whole wheat pastry flour. And I'd really oh. advise going for one of those oh. because when okay. with the whole grain they have a lot of flavor. Fat equals flavor. The bran and the germ in a whole grain. They're they're there. They're they're there to make your food taste better and be more healthy. Marion, thank you very much for the call. Number here is 800-348-2551. Off that call, you reminded me, you, you, you were very kind and you gave us a premium for the drive and included your book. And we had a discussion about ancient grains. Which ones are the ancient ones now? And is, oh, is, is that somewhat okay. a, a little hokum here? Well, maybe we can get the rest of the afternoon to talk this off. Okay, so ancient grains is not a scientific classification. It is a marketing classification. Uh-huh. But, how, however, there are very old grains like spelt, like einkorn and emmer um, that are in that ancient grain category and it just means that they they were you they were used by people a really really long time ago right. okay fair enough and, and they have some benefits are they tasty uh, they they're they're definitely tasty some people go for plant breeding that's um some people choose them because they will have less plant breeding in them and they believe that because there's less plant breeding it's better for the body well well, what is there science to back that up Mm, nope okay 800-348-2551 is our number amy halloran is our guest what's the other book you have there i have okay so this is a little bit of a sad book to bring along it's called one dough ten breads yeah why Um, is it sad because my friend who wrote it, Sarah Black, she died the day after Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. But I brought it because I want to encourage people to bake. Sarah was an incredible baker in New York City in the in the, like the 80s when uh, artisan styles of baking were starting to come around. She was really got a name for herself for her ciabattas. And then she came on to this great career of being an instructor. And I love this book so much that I loaned it to somebody. So I had to go to the Troy Public Library and get my copy So you copy loaned out. it and you never got it back? No, it's just somebody's got it. All right, who is it? Let's name names. Oh, I wish I knew. Maybe oh. may, if you know who you are, come to my doorstep yeah, with Sarah's fair. cookbook. Don't do that. Oh, no. It's... um. I'm so, it's just, she was a beautiful teacher. You can, I was looking at videos of her teaching how to make ciabatta and focaccia. One dough, 10 breads, Sarah Black. She's, uh, she had a joyous spirit. And so I want to encourage people in her memory to find a friend who loves to bake and bake with them. So uh, did she write about you in there? Mm, She did. Yeah. Anything nice? (laughs) Only mean things. Will Will you read it? 
Oh, she just Come said on, something. Let's just blow your own horn here for oh, a moment. Oh, gosh. I got time. I'm exhausted. I, I never met her until she sent me her book. And um, in the back, she encouraged people to try new grains. And... Um, she says, this regard for farming in the land is a passion that has been embraced in the last few years by many bakers and chefs who are more and more educated about how the grain cultivars, soil, climate, farmer, and miller all impact good bread. Dan Barber writes extensively about those ideas in his book, The Third Plate, as does Amy Halloran in her book, The New Bread Basket. Oh, that's nice. And then we had this great friendship. We we taught together down at the Asheville Bread Festival. And uh, so... I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry she is gone, but baking... Good. We'll remember her, okay? 800-348-2551. Amy Halloran's our guest today on Food of Friday. Uh, Maria in High Falls, you're on. Oh, hi there. Hi, Amy. Hi. Hi there, um, Ray. Ray. Yeah. Um, so I started collecting uh, Jello pamphlets when I was a teenager because uh-huh. I was just so attracted to the graphics. They were just glittery and gleaming, and I loved those watercolory ones that they did in the 1920s that made Jello look so special cool. uh-huh. and magical. And I branched out to collecting lots more cooking pamphlets of all different types, and the, they're just spectacular um, examples of 20th century graphic design at its best. Yes. And for years, I collected them, and I, I loved to cook, and I was going on my own kind of, like, um, uh, food journey, uh, not not so dissimilar to yours, you know, really looking at alternatives, that kind of thing. And I kept looking at the recipes in this cookbook, in these cookbooks, and they were so awful, <laughs> you know, just, like, really awful, weird food, you know, like, sweet when they're not supposed to be sweet and, you know, strange stuff. Yeah, you know, like combining Campbell's soup with tuna with, you know, mm. fresh grapes mm. and, um, and mayonnaise. Don't forget the mayonnaise. Mm. And it wasn't. And, you know, I've wondered what to do with these for years. I've used them as source material for my own artwork, but I never really figured out what the angle was until I found a book a couple of years ago, um, an academic book. And I'm afraid I don't have the name right now. I'm not in my studio. Okay. Um, but it ex- it really explained how these books were invented to teach us to eat processed food. Wow. And introducing processed food, also introducing um, exotic vegetables. You know, I, there are lots of them from like the Banana Council, the yep. Pineapple Council, um, also appliances. You know, all of a sudden people needed to heat the, eat their food hot and eat it cold um, because there were refrigerators and there were ovens with thermostats so you could actually time things. Yeah. And yeah. it just blew me away how smart That's this cool. author was. And she had just figured it out. Oh, boy. Um, well, if you remember the name of this book... You'll have to get it to me. Um, I will. You can either write this program or you can give your email. It's up to you, Amy, whatever you want to do. Well, you can go to my website, amyhalloran.net, and get a hold of me, okay. get a hold of me there. That would be good. Yeah. How many books? Thank, Maria, thanks Great. a lot for the call. How many it's books do you call. read? Obviously, you are a deep thinker and you love this topic. How many books on this topic have you read? Oh, well... I have a a varied diet. My my book diet is more varied than my actual diet. Yeah. I tell you, Ray, 
I can't say how many. I just have a lot of books going right now. All at the same time? All at the same time. I find that tough to do the juggling act with all the different kinds of books. You know, life is pretty nonlinear these days, so I'm okay. I, um, you know, this this week I've been looking at, I'm reading a book about uh, the Works Progress Administration Writers Program, Federal Writers Project. Oh, my God. So that's killing me. (laughs) (laughs) A book shouldn't kill you. I mean, mean, kill me with information, you know, in a good way. And I'm listening to this incredible novel by a writer named Elizabeth McCracken. It's called Bowl Away. Ray. It's about bowling. It's about bowling. Oh, I love bowling. You, she, this, Elizabeth McCracken out there in Radioland, I hope everybody's writing this down. She's an amazing writer. Okay. She is an amazing writer. How's her bowling game? She writes about it well, and it's candle pins. Oh, that's, that's, okay, that's a New England thing. It's a New England, this is a very New England book. It's so good. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I've seen the candle pins. The pins don't look to be quite big enough to hit, so I, I don't play that one. Yeah, I play the old-fashioned New York with the with the ten pins, and you get the split, and you got a sixteen-pound ball. That's bowling to me. That is really maybe good. she'll write a sequel with real bowling in it. She might. Okay. She might. Well, that's a weird uh, sort of digression. These cookies are fabulous. When you were talking to Maria, I had some. What is this? That is a rye cookie, not just rye, but rye and uh, wheat flour cookie. Beautiful. Just a chocolate chip. My God, it's so good. Rye, is it has super great flavor. And I use a whole grain rye where you can really see the bran and that I'm telling you, the bran has flavor. When you, But you got to get fresh flour because when it's fresh milled, it will, um, it will keep the flavor. It's just as fresh as produce, and within six months, you're going to have a bitter flavor, so you don't want old flour. This is a great point because, and you, you nailed it right away. Of course, you knew it in advance, but most of the time, chocolate chip cookies, and I love them. They're, they're, they're chocolate delivery systems. This is multifaceted. Yes. It's got a real depth to it. Beautiful. A lot going on there. if you want to talk to Amy Halloran. Let's go to David in Cold Spring. David, you're on. Hi, Ray, Amy. Um, I am an omelet guy. My specialty in the kitchen is omelets. Of course, my late mother loved them. Uh, My question is about baking powder. Uh, I know we need, I, I use a dash of it. It seems to help a lot when I don't have baking powder the omelet doesn't rise the same. So my question is, what does baking powder do, and what's the difference in, in health benefits of trying to find a nat- more natural baking okay. powder than just the commercial stuff? Solid question. Go ahead, Amy. Okay, You Ray. have an answer? I've got a long answer and a short answer. All right, well, I'll give you a minute and a half. Okay. Go. So baking powder is a combination of baking soda and cream of tartar that was people used to buy these two packets at the chemist and then as soon as they get in touch with any kind of liquid they will you know make a gas like when you put vinegar with baking soda um but in 1861 i think eben norton horsford a graduate of rpi he invented and pat- well patented baking powder by adding cornstarch to it. So, unless you have um, 
a corn, you know, there's there's not really a lot of difference as far as I can tell between a natural and a, you know, less natural baking powder product. Okay. David, you want to follow up real quick? We got to go for a break, but go ahead. I was told there's aluminum in some of the... Oh, yeah. Powder. So there's... I, I do go for an aluminum-free baking powder. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what they might say is an organic or a natural baking powder. Well, I don't know what they mean by natural. This just doesn't have the metal in it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, okay. Thank you. Thanks. I Good mean, luck. Aluminum, theoretically, is natural, but that's not... Exactly. What... You just maybe don't want it in your muffins or well, omelets. That's a good point. All right, let's take a break on that note. 800-348-2551. It's Amy Howard. And we'll be back right after some Horace Silver and some underwriting. Is the name of that one? It's a classic. 800-348-2551. I didn't pick it with you in mind, Amy. Just so you, just so you know, uh, it's a great sticks and stones. It's, no, it's a great song by Horace Silver. Beautiful band there. JJ Johnson on the trombone, I believe. 800-348-2551. Well, before we get to the next call, a, a- the rye chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Great. Yeah, you know what you're doing. What's with the weird-shaped uh, whatever it is? So those are piroshkis. Piroshkis. Piroshkis are Ukrainian um, leavened roll stuffed with goodies. And I first had them in Seattle. I'm, I've been really into recreating the baked goods of Seattle eat, eat, have right one. Come now. Come on. Um, so this is, this is a sourdough that I made this morning. The dough is made with rye and spelt and um, farmer ground high extraction flour, which means it's lightly sifted. And I filled it with cabbage and leeks and carrots with a little bit of dill. You like it, right? I love it. Oh, gosh. I would go on my day off down to Piroshki Piroshki, which is a little bakery in Pike Place Market, and I'd get these things. And so... I spent a few weeks out in Seattle when uh, for, for Christmas, and I got really into mm. making them. Now, this over here is a banana bread that is in the style of um, Macrina Bakery. Leslie Mackey is another baker who's really well-known for her, her great stuff. And where is this? She's in Seattle. Okay. She also has a cookbook. I don't remember the name, but it's probably the Macrina Bakery cookbook. M-A- the Macarena? <laughs> nope. Okay. Nope. But this banana bread... I loved mm. it. It was in all the coffee shops, and it has a little bit of crumb topping, it's you know? not too sweet, beautiful. Um, would, now, let me ask you, I'm sure I've asked you this before, big banana bread fan myself, growing up with it, put cream cheese on it at all? We cream would, cheese we, is great. We would great. spread cream cheese on it a lot. That would be a, a big deal. But also, peanut butter. Oh, of course. Crunchy, oh, no, uh, crunchy. 100%. Yep. We're of the same mind there. All right, let's go to the calls again. This this Polish thing, by the way, phenomenal. It's great, isn't it? One one side of my wife's family, right off the boat, Polish, her grandparents, 
I wonder if she ever had these in her youth. Something. Well, part of the reason I'm so attracted to it is my great-grandmother, straight off the boat to Sheridan Hollow, and um, she she lived down there and i always think okay i can't i can't meet her but i can try to meet the baked goods uh, so that's such and the the dough and the bread is perfect you really are a genius tell me about the dough again in there so the dough what i used was um olia hercules is a ukrainian chef who lives in england and she did a lot of different awareness of the war in Ukraine, a lot of fundraising. So I really got into her recipes, and I um, I used her recipe for these garlic pampushki yeah. uh, to, to make this. And it's just a sourdough that has, um, I mean, you could, it has a little bit of butter, a little bit of sugar. It's just a nice dough. Yeah, it's really nice. It's so soft. Yeah. It's delicious. 800-348-2551. If you'd like to talk to Amy Halloran today, let's go down to New Jersey and our pal, Ellen. Hello, Ellen. How are you? Hey, Ray. Hello, Amy. Hi, Ellen. About some of my favorite things. You're talking rye flour. You're talking Macrina Bakery in Seattle, mm-hmm. and you're also talking about vintage uh, baking pamphlets. So let's circle around to vintage baking pans. I want to know if you've ever heard of the Quickie Pie Pie Sandwich Maker. No. Pie Sandwich Tell us. Okay. Tell us. Sue, tell. So this would be right up your alley. It is uh, probably from the 40s or the 50s. And then when Teflon waltzed into town, there was a Teflon-coated version of this. There were TV, black-and-white TV commercials for these pans. And you basically could take a slice of bread, and it would trim the edges off. And then it, you would heat it on top of the stove, and it would melt whatever filling you chose to put in there uh you could spread it with like applesauce and make a quote-unquote quickie apple pie (laughs) and it was a way of using um let's say less than stellar slices of bread you know maybe day-old bread you could use white sandwich bread you could use rye bread and you would fill it you could even make you know sort of appetizery savory or derby things with it and it was hysterical to see you know the the workings of this in black and white television but it was really popular and of course it came with a pamphlet came with a booklet oh i am gonna have to look this up you wrote it down but you also visibly winced when ellen said of course it cut off the edges of the bread and you just, we're taking it back just briefly. <laughs> well, I'm trying to. I was trying to picture it. I and I have some bread yeah. slicers at home that I've done good damage on my fingers with. So Ouch. you know, slicing always makes me. Yeah. Well, well Ellen has no, great. They're pasta. rounded. Oh, really? They're rounded. I can't yeah, wait to a, look at this. It's a rounded gadget. And uh, do you see, have one? See if you can find one. I will look. Um, I will look. I, I, you probably do have one, Amy. No, I thought. Do you have one, Ellen? You're the pie. Yes, maven. I do have one, but I don't. I don't have the Teflon version because okay. you know, yeah, for, for for personal religious reasons. Absolutely, I no, I understand. But do you yeah. use it at all? Yeah. Uh, it's it's more you know it's more interesting. It was a find at a um, you know sort of an antique market, and I just thought it was really fascinating. And what's so interesting about all of these gadgets and these pamphlets? Um, you know, obviously they were trying to sell things. It was marketing uh, from these companies, but it was also trying to teach home bakers 
how to, you know, expedite meals and do things faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the way that uh, baking and making bread and making desserts had been done prior to this, before the back of the box recipes and so forth, yeah. it, was, it was a whole day event. It was, you know, really time consuming. <laughs> this really sped things up. I love it. Hey, love Ellen, it. when are you on the show again? You're on again soon, yeah? I'm in. I'm on the show in March, like right before Pi Day, right before the Academy Awards. We've got a lot to talk about. All right, and of course, Amy, if you want to drop in and say hello, feel oh my free. Oh gosh, on always a good idea. Oh my it gosh, fun. Ellen, that great. Thank you so much. We'll see you in a month or less. Eight hundred three four eight two five five one is the number to New Paltz. Elizabeth, you're on. Hi. Um, you were saying that you made. Um, First of all, all those recipes for um, the breads and cakes sound wonderful. I hope that you have it posted somewhere. Um, Anyhow, you said that you uh, grew wheat. And I've been thinking a lot about wheat because after reading The Omnivore's Dilemma and other books, I found out that now the companies um, now put on, now I forget what it's called, the... Glyphosate. Brought up glyphosate. Glyphosate. Stuff that they make Roundup. Yeah. Um, that they put it on wheat, they say to desiccate it. So that's got me a little bit nervous. But besides for that, why would you have to desiccate wheat? So the the reason, as I understand it, that's done is to um, enable smoother cutting, more even cutting with commercial harvesters. And um, that is, you know, in the old days, like if you think of pictures of people drying wheat in the field, you know, these those big stooks of wheat um, that that wasn't done. And I when I grew it in, in our yard, we didn't have to do anything like that. It was a super dry summer and it just dried in the field. Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah. Elizabeth. OK, thank you. Thanks, Thanks a for lot calling. For the call to Poughkeepsie and Fran, you're on. Fran, hey, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? Those gadgets that uh, the pie quickie, or <laughs> yeah. rather, I did. Uh, although the bread always stuck to it when when you got it good and hot. Well, that's probably why they used Teflon later on. That's a good point, Fran. But they were they were useful. No, I was thinking back to your. Uh, how did these radio? shows come about i remember back in the 1940s yes i do remember that far uh a show on wor the mystery chef who gave recipes over the air and they always involved convoluted ingredients and methods but i think they were meant to show you how to stretch your food with rationing at the time. Oh, so neat. That's, That's cool. great to know. Here, Fran, along those lines, uh, Jim Hendler, who is a RPI professor and he's a regular on the roundtable panel, pretty smart dude about um, artificial intelligence. Our f- a Food Friday coming up in May, we're going to ask people 
a few ingredients they have in their fridge, and then he is going to do chat GPT and find out what it, what recipe it comes <laughs> up with for you, and we'll have Chef Gail Sokol on who will critique those recipes. I love it. Yeah, I can't so wait for that. that'll be fun. That'll be the mystery chef. Fran, thanks for the call. 800-348-2551. I wish I knew the exact date of that show. It's booked, but uh, my my brain is silly putty at the moment. You're, you're allowed. You're allowed. You have been busy this it week. It has been a busy week, and again, thanks to everybody who chipped in during the drive really something we'll do it again in june go ahead uh, all right let's go to line three and nancy you're on hi something i want to tell you about banana bread ray if you like banana bread with cream cheese okay nope. um make stuffed banana bread two slices with cream cheese in the middle dip it in an egg and fry it like french toast Ooh, that sounds great yeah Banana bread, French toast with real maple syrup is holy to die for. Holy, that's have you ever heard of that, Amy? No, but it sounds fantastic. Love it. Yeah. There was a restaurant. There was a restaurant in Shelburne Falls, Mass, and that was on there as one of their specialties. And I was at Hager's Farm Stand over in Shelburne Falls, and one of their specialties is uh, fried bread dough with maple cream. But I picked up a loaf of bread, rye pumpernickel, and I didn't read the ingredients till I got home. And it had cocoa powder in it. Oh, yeah. D- does it all have so cocoa powder? Was that just to make it darker or to uh, give it a, a less strong rye flavor to it? I'm not sure. it's a wonderful. Yeah, I don't it's remember a the bread. I will continue buying it. it. I don't remember the reason it was added. I know some have coffee in it. I've, I'm not quite on top of my rye lineage, but um, it's 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 really and which is a shame because I am giving a talk next week about rye. Oh, down well, down in New York City. Well, you have a week to get ready. I uh, have to get know, ready. Read about twenty books, Nancy. Really quick, the did you say yeah. fried bread dough? Like fried yeah, you dough. Might, you know, you right? make oh, yeah. fried dough. Yeah. And and they have a booth at the Franklin County Fair. People will line up, like 50 people in a line, just waiting their turn to get the bread dough. And you'll, lots of times you get it served with powdered sugar okay, so it's, or okay. cinnamon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood. No, no. They put maple cream on it. Not maple syrup. Maple cream, which is a spread. Yeah. You spread it on that hot dough. I like mine with a big puddle in the middle, and then I rip the edges off and just dip it and dip it and that dip it until great. you get to the middle. Oh, my gosh. Nancy, I just, my mouth just... That sounds up. genius to me. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Appreciate the call. 800-348-2551. And let's go to Warwick. Beth, you're on. Oh, hi. Um, I was just calling because I actually have a copy of that Aunt Sammy's Radio Recipes, uh-huh. the Great Depression Cookbook. Oh, okay. the original, oh, the the one that came out earlier, yep. Well, uh, this one is edited by a man who I actually worked for when I worked for these um, cookbook publishers. Well, they published a number of things. This is edited by Martin Greif, G-R-E-I-F. It was published in 75. Yep. So it's not the original. No. No, that was the 50th anniversary edition, I think. Ah. Yeah. Totally fun. Neato. Totally fun. Yeah. Thanks a lot for the call, Beth. Let's go to Rotterdam. And uh, Philip's been waiting a very long time. Hello, Philip. You're on. Hey, how are Pretty good. How are you? Okay, it was just a comment. Someone mentioned about uh, Irish flour. I'm actually from Ireland. 
if the person wants to go to one of the sort of local Brit Irish shops, and they have them in Troy, Schenectady, Clifton Park, and over even over in Northampton, Massachusetts, they can get a brand called Odlums, O D L A M, uh, and that's imported. And if you want to make uh, scones or soda bread, that's the thing to use. Fantastic. I'm going to go and take a look at it myself. Thank you. Philip, thanks a lot. Quickly to Troy. That's Amy's uh, stomping grounds. Joe, you're on. Joe, you're go. Huh. Can't hear you, man. Go. Hello. Yeah, go Hi. ahead. You have about 30 seconds. Should, should I, uh, use, can I use expired baking uh, flour for... If it's six months past its expiration date? Well, flour, you can really smell if it's off. So if it doesn't smell like flour should, then your your bread is not going to taste like flour should. Uh-huh. So it'll really affect so the can, flavor. You can go past the expiration date then, and you don't have to throw it away. If it smells bad... I wouldn't use it. You're, the quality is definitely decreasing over time. How do you smell? Or what is your sense of smell, Joe? Is it good? No, it smells regular, I guess. All right. All right fair enough. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Will, will, will he get you. sick if he uses it uh, and it's past its prime? It won't It won't be an illness, but it just won't have a good flavor. When, when flour goes bad, what does it smell like? Old flour. It's like that's, it's that's really not old flour. That's not helpful at all. I know, I know. Compare it's hard it to, to describe. Something. Dirt? Does it smell like uh, bark? No. It right. doesn't smell like pencils either. Now, you know what, Amy? I think that you've been a very, very helpful person, but now the show's over. It is. And I'm going to go to Happy Nappy Land. Hey, if people want to find out about you and your doings, and apparently you do a lot of things all the time, how do we do that? You can look at uh, Instagram to the Flower Ambassador, F-L-O-U-R, Ambassador. You took the oath. I love it. I love it. And I'll be doing a Bread and Roses luncheon at the YWCA in Troy, International Women's Day. We will have some very tasty stuff. I bet you will. Well, Amy Halloran, thanks again for bailing us out here at the last minute. Beautiful. Thank you, Ray. Thanks so much for having me. This was a ball. And thanks to everybody once again who either volunteered like Barb King, our screener. She volunteered on the fun drive or made a pledge during the fun drive. Everybody, beautiful job. Now, at ease. We got a weekend off here and we don't have a fun drive for several months. Thanks again. Support comes from Saratoga Restaurant Equipment Sales. 27 years supplying restaurants and commercial kitchen facilities. Also offering project design, installation, and repair services. SaratogaSales.com. At River Valley Co-op in Northampton at East Hampton. Supporting local farmers and featuring local produce, dairy, meat, and cheese. RiverValley.coop. Thanks again to Amy Halloran for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Zach Malloy. Thanks to the sainted Barb King for screening the calls. I'm Ray Graff. Going to take a nap. Have a lovely weekend. We'll see you Monday. Thank you.